Hey gang, thanks for listening to a new episode of Deep Dive. We haven't done one of these in like a year, have we? I think this is the first one of the year. I've been so focused on books that I just don't have time to do the deep dives. But I wanted to do this one because this is extra special for me. We're welcoming Smithereens drummer Dennis Dyken. So as you guys all know, I think Smithereens are one of my favorite bands of all time. Before I get to the deep dive, let me tell you, they have a brand new album out that's called The Lost Album. They recently uncovered a bunch of songs that were recorded but never put out in the early 90s, and that album just came out this weekend, The Lost Album. So we talk about that in, in here a little bit, and then we get into deep diving their second album from 1988, Green Thoughts. I love this album. This is the one that had Only a Memory and House That We Used to Live In, and Dennis and I go track by track kind of what was going on. It was produced by Don Dixon, and it uh, uh, features a lot of guest stars. It was such a magical album for me, especially. I loved it. So we get into all of that here on this conversation. It's really nice to be back with a really solid deep dive from a band that I love more than anything. All right? Enjoy. I love the Smithereens very, very much. This is a real honor. Jim was on here a few years ago. And um, I've seen you live a few times. So anyway, well, when I get here all about the Lost Album, you've probably been talking about it a lot. And then um, we'll go track by track through Green Thought. You good with okay, that? Um, yeah. And I want to tell you that I'm, I, I dig your podcast. I listen to it. Oh, wow. Thank you. Oh, my god. And uh, I was just, matter of fact, I was just listening to the, uh, the one with the author about uh, the Cheap Trick book. This sounds, sounds great. He's a good friend of mine. That it's a great book if you like origin stories. In fact, um, well, your name has come up. The Smithereens come up quite often. We had Don Dixon on here a few years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, then Jimmy was on, obviously. And when Pat died, we did and we did a tribute episode to him. And then, thankfully, a lot of other podcasters know what a big fan I am. So I got invited to go on several other podcasts to do tribute episodes to Pat as well. So I heard, I heard all, I heard all of those by the oh, way nice. in, in the day. And uh, I meant to reach out. I, I, maybe I did to one of the fellows that was on one of the other ones, but probably those were, uh, they, they, they came at the right time. They were very nice to hear. And I really appreciate yeah. it. I mean, I've seen you guys live several times. The, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Let's so okay. let's touch on the lost album. <laughs> the question you've probably been asked a million times: Why is this lost? Why did none of this come out? You know, um, we've been going through our archives in the last over the last couple of years, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that we want to release. This was a, a group of recordings that we did in 1993 that. Um, we were between labels, and shortly after we finished this batch of recordings uh, that were, that uh, comprised the Lost Album, we got signed to RCA, and uh, 
in short order, we're prepping to do what became a date with the Smithereens. When we recorded all those songs in 93, including the 12 that are on the Lost album, we also recorded maybe all or close to all of the, the titles that showed up on date in earlier versions. So we had all this, all this material that we were considering to issue at that point. But then when we did the RCA album, we focused on the ones that we thought would be best suited at that point in time, according to the way we were feeling about it to record for that record. So um, these songs that are now coming to light, uh, it's not like we completely forgot about them, but we were just moving forward yeah. with new projects and, and new material. And we knew at some point we would uh, at least take a look at them and uh -huh. do something with them. But other other tours, other records, other activity got in the way. It's interesting to me that, I mean, after date, well, and then God bless, um, you know, there's that period, Pat refers to it as the fallow period with the covers albums and stuff like that. Were there, why would this material not have surfaced somewhere around then? Why not put this out as a new out? And and I don't even recognize like pieces of some of these songs integrated into other songs, you know, and I don't remember hearing them live or anything. They just were shelved and never thought of again. I guess so. I'm trying to I'm trying to put myself back there to really yeah. uh, think. Well, I think one or two songs on the lost album Pat did record for at least one of his solo albums. Maybe he did. Okay. Yeah, everyday world and um That's I forget. Right. You're yeah. right. Yeah. But I forgot. I don't know. I guess we were just always mm -hmm. I just thinking you'd I get to them later. Yeah, I really don't remember why we didn't. Maybe we just okay. thought, oh, that was then, this is now. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wish I had a better answer. I and I will finish the 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 call today and i'll come up with 10 good reasons <laughs> <laughs> of course <laughs> now this i think was kind of a rough period for you guys anyway you're not on capital anymore you're had you been maybe you hadn't been signed to rca so this was kind of a middle ground where you weren't sh quite sure what the fate of songs like these were going to be ultimately okay. anyway okay yeah we did we were not signed to rca at this point this was in the uh, limbo period there and uh, yeah as I said, we did record uh, the earlier versions during these sessions for mm -hmm. uh, most, if not all, of the songs that eventually did appear on on date. Um, yeah. And the interesting thing about this group of recordings is that we didn't have a producer. We were, oh. um, we were self-produced during this time, but we did a lot of work in a fairly short amount of time. Mm -hmm. And this was kind of a return to New York for us, too, because although we did our first EPs and especially for you in New York, uh, we, we went to Los Angeles for the next three albums, Green Thoughts 11 and Blow Up. Mm -hmm. So this was more like being at home and reporting to the office every day. <laughs> <We've actually joined. laughs> right, right. Yeah, it, it was more of a feel of being home. I think yeah. that the songs might reflect a little bit of a New, a New York edge. Um, and yeah. uh, so we, we were, our noses were pretty firmly to the grindstone at the time okay do you remember the recording of some of these like for instance stop bringing me down there's always been a slight hint of like black sabbath 
in just lurking under the influence, under the floor of Smithereen songs, but that's the song that to me feels the most pronounced. Do you hear that too? Do you remember recording that song? Yeah, I have pretty clear recollections of most of the sessions. Okay. That, I never really did listen to Black Sabbath too much. Pat really was the guy in the band who was a big Black Sabbath fan. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, I don't know if I was even thinking about them. I was just playing the song, but I do yeah. remember feeling that. Although we had, uh, oh, we had uh, treaded on some heavier sounds prior to that. Nothing maybe quite as pronounced as as was on this tune. I thought, wow, this is this is fun. Actually, it was a lot of fun to play that one in the I studio. And um, I just remember thinking, no, oh, this is a little different for us, but let's go for it. And then yeah. to get a good storyline to it, as I recall. Yeah, record deal came and went, girls, yeah. drugs, and Beverly Hills. It kind of, it's almost feels like it could be Pat stream of conscious talking about the last few years or the last chapter in the in his and Smithereen's life in that song. Uh, I, I, I could see why people would think that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also think it's one of the songs, because it's heavier, it reminds me of what's to come with Date, because Date is a heavier song comparatively, or heavier album comparatively. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think it's true, because, uh, um, well, yeah, Pat was going through some tough times in his life. Yeah, at that I point. believe it. And, and that uh, certainly informed the attitudes and the, the feels and... Uh, the playing mm-hmm. on a date, which also was a New York album, but that's for another discussion. Right. Sure, of course. Yeah, um, I also like "Face the World with Pride." I think your drumming is—I mean, your drumming is great. I'll, I'll get more into why I love you here in a minute, but I, oh, thank I you. "Face the World with Pride" especially feels like a, a a great song that you get to shine on. I don't know why. Oh. I mean, you shine on everything, but for some reason, that one sticks out to me. Like oh thanks sentence. jimmy wrote, jimmy wrote that one he came up with that oh really yeah it's nice. a it's a really nice bouncy number you know it's a different yeah. little bit of a different feel for us maybe that's why you're honing maybe. in on the rhythm. maybe yeah, yeah. probably because yeah, it's, it's, that, okay. that, that, that's got a fun feel it really does have a nice bounce to it i'm glad yeah. you like it i do yeah. i love that one um okay i might touch back on this album too um as we go on further but oh one other thing in the press material for this i think mike talks about dens impersonations what does that mean are you like a are you a master of impersonations uh master might not be the correct word but uh a willing uh who who are you livening up the room with at this point what are you doing back then during that hour yeah oh jeez you know, I, a lot of it was people that we knew, you know, oh, okay. friends. Or yeah. you know, you got to understand, Jimmy, Mike, and I went to school together. Yeah, and uh, I know Mike since third grade, wow. and and we really had a good time in school. We're we're, we're people that really enjoyed our school years, uh-huh. and we made the most of them. We were pretty good students, but we we really, as a lot of kids do, you kind of. Uh, if you're so inclined, you, you kind of, you know, mock out your teachers behind sure, their backs. Yeah. We, we took it to a whole new level and we, we still, we still do. I believe it. I believe <laughs> and it. so, I don't know. I, I guess that 
he might have been referring to that or I don't know. I used to do Jack Benny or, you know, people like that. I can't even remember. <laughs> it's funny. The thing that I think is so endearing, one of the many things about the smithereens is that how you're four regular guys at the end of the day, even when you were, um, I mean, I don't know behind the scenes. I'm sure there was some rock star behavior and posturing back there, but to the rest of us, you just seemed like four regular guys. And the, the songs even sound that way, you know? Well, we are actually, you know, um, somebody asked me the other day, well, what was, when you finally made some money, what was the first thing you bought? Uh-huh, right? I, said, uh-huh. I said, my house, you know, I, uh-huh. I bought a house. and I said, I have my, I only got my first new car seven years ago. I never had a new car. I, I never liked the idea of, worrying about getting nicked you know or bent up because i went to the city so i mean i i was never a big consumer or or, or i never went for any of the trappings i don't yeah. think yeah. but um i think you're i think you tapped into something that might be the secret of our success in addition to good music we i think our a lot of our fans identified with us yeah. Yeah. Uh, from the way you just described it's not just from interviews or, or meeting us and talking, but it, I think it comes across on stage. It's, it uh, does. It's just, uh, we really dig what we do. And yeah. we feel very fortunate that we've been able to do it for 43 years. It'll no be kidding. No kidding. In spite of the believe? challenges. No, especially the last few since Pat's been gone um, yeah. to, to have people like Marshall step in and uh, Robin and anyone else who's kind of, furthering the cause we're so great by the way you got please come to denver you used to come to denver get marshall and come to denver i love him too i um <laughs> anyway it's there's a lovable quality and it, you know what's interesting too dennis is that almost every big fan i talk to has a personal one-on-one story as well it's not mm. just i bought the album and i like it it's that i i hung around after the concert and i chatted with jimmy or i bumped into mike in a record store or pat and i shared a cigarette or whatever it is they they all have one-on-one experiences like that to talk about too well yeah uh, i love meeting we all love meeting people after all these years we're still making new friends which makes the world go around i think is when sure uh, find common ground with people and have lasting relationships with them. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Jimmy, grew, Jimmy grew up, uh, his dad owned taverns and, and Jimmy was a bartender uh, once he was of, of drinking age. We, we all love to socialize and, and, it, you know, if people are, are, are into what we do, uh, yeah, what? Well, yeah, that that's nice, and I I love learning what they're all about too. Yeah, yeah. Good. You guys are the best that way. <laughs> I um I met you once. Um, you, so my history with you guys is I saw you on the Green Thoughts tour, um, in Salt Lake City. I would have mm. been fifteen years old. Was um, this that party we we went to afterwards? I don't think so. I well, you might have gone to a party afterwards. It was you and Paul Kelly and the Messengers, yeah. who were fantastic. They put on a great show too, and yeah. um, they had that song "Dumb Things" that was really popular at the time, at least in Salt Lake. And I didn't know that's who it was. So when they came out and opened and played that, I it clicked. And um, 
I still remember, I don't remember much of the concert because it was so long ago, but I remember Pat wearing like a white dinner jacket. And I remember Jim coming, he, as he often does, comes down into the, into the crowd and gives his guitar to somebody to play a solo. And he yeah. came down to the guy standing right next to me. Some other guy standing next to, next to us handed Jim a joint and he's kind of smoking it while the guy's playing the guitar. Anyway, it was just magic being right there in that room with you guys. Cool. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, and then nothing, because I was never in a, in the same place you were for any shows. And as you know, there was that, there was kind of a long period where you weren't pouring as much. Then you finally came and played a free street fair outside of Denver here. Uh, uh-huh. And I, I went to, yes. And I went to that and it was, I'm, I might get choked up talking about it because in the ensuing years, I'd become a giant giant smithereens fan and mm. there was there wasn't there weren't opportunities to see you or bond with you until this street fair moment and yeah. um i talked with uh, you guys all signed my poster i've got it upstairs i talked to pat for a little while it was one of the best experiences of my life because it was like 15 20 years of pent-up love finally coming uh-huh. to fruition at that wow. show you know that's so nice to hear really yeah yeah and um and then you played uh, the Blackhawk Casino a little while after that. And I went to that one. And then mm-hmm. there was another show just a few couple of months before Pat died in his arms in a sling and in the, at the uh, Soil Dove Underground here, which is a oh, yeah, I right that. by my house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyway, yeah. so I we go back and I just love you a lot. So Green Thoughts, let's get into it. We're going to do a deep dive of this one. It comes out on March 22nd, 1988. It reached as high as number 60 on Billboard. It's also produced by Don Dixon. Um, I did not know until getting ready to talk to you that the cover, which has never made any sense to me, is based on Ricardo and the, I, no, Roberto and the and his orchestra's Music for Lonely Lovers. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, when we did Green Thoughts, that was, as I started saying before, that was our first uh, foray into what became uh, a bit of a West Coast uh, home base for recording for us. We were so gobsmacked to be able to hang out at the Capitol Tower, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, wow, because we had admired and uh, just considered the notion of even walking through the portals of that building for years. I had never even been in there, always wanted to go. And the first day I go into this, the Capitol tower, we're recording at studio B. Um, so it was such a huge thrill for us to, to be there. And um, I'll tell you another story later, but anyway, so okay. once, once uh, we got into recording and I, I had some free time as, as is my want to, find some record stores to go to of course and um there was a a place called record surplus on pico which was a really cool used record store they had tons and tons of uh of used lps they've they're still around but they've since moved to a different location and i noticed that um you know pat and i and the other guys too in the band we love buying oddball records, including a lot of easy listening and items that were caught our eyes, sometimes just for the covers. And so I went to a record surplus and I found this album 
by Roberto. And I just was taken by the graphics on, on that Carl album. It was on the Carl label. And uh, so I bought a bunch of... And the other thing I noticed about uh, buying records in LA versus New York, I guess because at that point, uh, the industry had shifted from New York to LA in the 60s. And because of the whole... It being the the heart of the entertainment business, you found a lot more good condition out, used albums out there. And for cheap, there was they were flooded with it. So it was really a kind of a a bin picker's uh, paradise. So anyway, I brought this this LP back to the tower. And there was We were still recording, and uh, it really caught Pat's eye. And I think uh, we both thought it was would make a good template for the, uh, the graphics that would become the Green Thoughts cover. That's crazy. I, I should have Googled this decades ago because I have never understood what the... I like the cover of Green Thoughts, obviously, but it, it's so odd, and I never knew where it came from until just recently yeah. looking at this picture and um that's been sort of a hallmark for you guys though is to kind of insert pop culture references that are from decades prior like smithereens 11 i remember at the time not understanding why it was called 11 and then learning that it was based on the movie oceans 11 but yeah. i'm only like 16 or 17 years old so i've never seen this movie i don't know what it is but you guys are geniuses at throwing in those little you know, references, Easter eggs for people to find if they want to dig. Yeah, it's all about having fun. You know, uh, we figure if we have fun with our influences and things that turn us on, it's going to spill over to our audience, whether they pick up on it right away or not. It, it, if we portray it with a sense of fun and reverence and or irreverence sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's just going to make us happy and hopefully that like i said that will transcend to good our own. and and like you said it, you, you didn't know at first but eventually no. you learned so it's uh yeah, yeah at that time oceans oceans 11 uh the remakes had not come out As a matter of no. fact we think that when that first remake came out in whatever year that was that they probably appropriated the the treatment of the graphic that we used for our album for the, I think you're right. Yeah, that's right. Because this color scheme is more red, black, and white, and that yeah. wasn't the color scheme of the original. It was a little different, and ours is a lot bolder, and it it really looks like they took a gander at what we had. Yeah, done, you know? yeah. yeah. I never yeah. connected that before. Yeah. Right. Good, uh, good on them. Is good what on I them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So track one, um, only a memory is the first single it's the first song i remember um seeing a video to and everything and i it was um i think it reached number 92 in the top 100 you i mean your your actual top 40 pop chart success was you know just in dribs and drabs but alternative and college radio seemed to get behind the smithereens from day one right yeah i think that one might have reached number one on one of them i think it did FM, yeah i think FM right. charts or alternative charts we were so lucky yeah you know in that regard but yeah, yeah only memory it kicks off the album and i think in fine form i think it does too i was going to ask you when i um maybe this is too technical and forgive me dennis i'm not a musician so i don't know what the actual words are or terms are for these things so if i, I describe something and it, it sounds ridiculous <laughs> forgive me but uh, I'm listening to it, and it starts in with the feedback, obviously, and then Jim's riff, 
And so often uh, throughout the rest of the song, whenever after the like verses, after the choruses and into the verses, you're introduce you introduce your drumming through a roll. Yeah. And at the beginning of Only a Memory, it's through a single like thwack. And right. I wondered if there's a difference. I wonder if you go into it thinking the beginning of this song, call, I could easily go, you know, but instead I'm going to go bam and then into it. Do you think that? Yeah. You kind of, you always want to build a song uh-huh. Uh-huh. and the top of the song, you don't want to clobber people too heavily. Uh, a single shot sometimes is just the best way to get the train running, you know, and um, send off the song. I think that role at the top might have been might have been a bit too much, but it, it's quite effective later in the song, where it builds to a certain point and uh, and it just sends off those sections differently, and and then it becomes something you expect in the song. And the the last one going into the last chorus, I think builds to a certain measure of excitement yeah but you're right it's just a matter of um, playing the song you know the yeah. best musicians consider what the map for the song should be and that single shot even though it's not a busy role i think it, it creates excitement and, mm-hmm. and just like it like somebody just kind of tapped you on the shoulder or or you know somehow addressed you in a, in a very direct way that's good. Yeah. I yeah. yeah. When I had picked up on that, I my then my mind starts going down this rabbit hole of the of that kind of philosophy or the the scientific or mental side of putting a song or an album together. Because like you're saying, you don't want to blow your whole wad out of the gate. You want to build to that and the things that go on that the decisions you make throughout creating a song that allow you to do that. You know, we don't want to do it all here. We want to save something for later. And we don't always think about that when we're listening to a song, those kinds of thoughts and opinions right. going into it. Yeah. It's actually, it's actually part of the dialogue of the song, you know, mm-hmm. in addition to the lyrics, the musical grounding of each cut is kind of like, you know, a conversation in its yeah. own way, you know, but yeah. uh, done musically. I could see that. Um, now, my understanding, I believe Don Don Dixon is playing the piano, and I think his wife Marty were they married at the time? Marty Jones? No, they were going at the time, but I don't think they were married yet. Okay, yeah. she's on BVs, I believe, right? I'm sorry, she's what? She's Background on backing vocals. vocals she is, yes. Okay, that's right. And I okay. think Don probably did play piano, unless is he credited with playing piano? Well, he's credited as playing piano throughout. Um, on some of like, uh, does it say? It just says he plays guitar, piano, vocals. Okay, because we did bring our we did bring in our friend uh, Kenny Margolis from New York, to, who played on a number of our albums. Uh, he played keyboards on yeah most of he the, is, so I don't know. It might have been Dixon. It might have been Kenny. I'm not sure. Kenny is not listed as the piano player on this song. That's why I assumed it was done. Oh, it's, it's cr- each song has individual credits. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, uh, well, there's like a synopsis guest, other guest performers, Steve Berlin, saxophone on, especially, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? There's that at the right. end. Anyway. Um, okay. So the second song is house. We used to live in this, this and alone at midnight are my favorite smithereen songs overall wow. yeah i go back and forth i can't decide which one depends on my mood 
Um, now, my understanding is that it was not officially a single. However, my good friend, Andy Shaw, who knows you guys as, as well, he sent me as a gift a the single, a, a yeah. album single that with the picture of the house, and it's autographed by Jim. It's framed upstairs in my room. Um, cool. What's the story there? Because there's a video, but it was not a single? Well, it was a single, um, I think. <laughs> I thought it was uh, too, but I think there's some story about it, like being canceled pretty quickly or, um, you know, anyway. They say they often say the artist is usually the worst person to ask these kind of questions. The, the, there was some weird gray area. I think it came out later as a, a B-side. If that's, huh. uh, I, don't I can't know. remember. I thought you'd know. They, I should have asked Andy. They, he knows. There, there might have been promo copies. There might have been stock copies. And I, I remember something weird about it. And they printed the sleeve. And that picture was taken of the house. Was That was the house we used where we yeah. shot the video. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. They, I mean, it was, let's put it this way. It was definitely a single in the sense that it was serviced to radio I know there was a 12 inch promotional single and we did the video so in all for all intents and purposes whether there was an official seven inch or not it was a single that could be that was promoted and it did pretty good for us now you got me thinking <laughs> uh, I'll have to go back to Andy I can't remember what the story is specifically I just remember there was one I think I think some singles were pressed and then canceled or uh, dropped at the last minute even though the vi I don't remember what the story is, I thought you would. Um, maybe uh, maybe we can look at Discord and see what they say. Yeah, I'll see what they say. Um, okay, I am curious who. Um, okay, the album is called Green Thoughts. No one quite knows what Green Thoughts are. What do Green Thoughts mean? Well, I think uh, what Pat was. I think he even kind of goes for it and some of the lyrics if not on that song then maybe another song on the album it's about you know jealousy okay green with green envy. with envy yeah yes okay um, stop me thinking of these three thoughts oh yeah yeah i don't know yeah. if he makes a specific reference to jealousy or envy on that on that lyric in that song but i think if not somewhere else in the album he does but that's yeah. the answer okay yeah so being a 15-year-old kid, like I was at the time, and not knowing what green thoughts mean, and there's the line in-house that says, in our green town, and I'm thinking, yeah. is there, is that a, do they have something to do with each other? Or I'm guessing green town just means a town that's green, that's green and leafy and grassy. I think there's a specific reference that I don't remember, but I think it was a literary reference. Oh. And I wish I had the answer, but I, I think there is something connected to it. Okay. Maybe somebody, somebody, some more astute listener out there will know what I'm talking. Yeah, about. somebody. Uh, we're going to get a lot of people telling me how I'm wrong and what I'm wrong about, and informing me on this stuff, which is fine. That's okay. Yeah, you know, we were just talking, and uh, Jimmy and I just were doing another podcast or another interview, and you know, I, we were discussing the point that everybody has their own interpretation of songs, and it doesn't right. matter whether you latch on to what the the writer had in mind or not, if it makes you feel a certain way and speaks mm -hmm. to you in your own terms, that's great. I mean, yeah. they, they interviewed Bob Dylan years ago and I remember them asking, Oh, can you tell us the meaning of this song? He says, it doesn't mean anything. It's just whatever people want it to mean. You know? <laughs> but anyway, obviously 
certain songs do have specific meanings. But uh, my point being that if you can relate to a piece on your own terms and it has meaning for you, that's that's all that matters. That's very true. Um, yeah. Okay, my, the thing that I love about this song is that, well, I love all of it, but coming out of the chorus, when it, it just, that energy, that ramping back up into the r- overall riff and mm-hmm. is so exciting to me every single time. And cool. I love that. And as you know, during the fade out, you go bananas on the drums. And every right. time I think I need five more minutes of that, please. What? Well, it exists, I think, on tape. We faded it out early. <laughs> really? Okay. Because I want to know we, what's going on there. Um, I was just doing a little, you know, yeah. Keith Moon stuff. It was, supposed to, it was supposed to signify the falling down of the house, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it, we are planning to do a deluxe edition of Green Thoughts. Someday we will. Good. Um, but we have a lot of outtakes. Okay. So. Maybe, oh, your wish that. Will Maybe your wish will come true. Ooh, I hope so. I hope so. It's also, um, I have. I I hope this isn't sacrilege to say something slightly critical, but every time, except for that very first time, which I barely remember in 1988, every time I see you guys live, house becomes that long jam with the Who's sparks, mm-hmm. and right. every time I just think I just want one clean, just version of house. I don't. No. I don't want the house. I don't want the who in it too. I just need a house. You know what well, I mean? You can always run to the men's room. <laughs> That's true. When we when we hit sparks, you know. That's true. No, I love. I mean, I love everything you do. I just that's one of my favorite songs, and I was like, I wish I could just get the one without the without it going into sparks. Yeah. Um, okay. Track three, something new. It's a wonderful little country song. It's not even two minutes long. This is you guys kind of expanding, I guess. I mean, you weren't, there are like Last Cigarette, Blue Period, stuff like that. There are slower songs and there's a few more coming up, but did it feel out of character at all to be recording what's basically a country song? No, like you said, there were other ballads and other, our albums were always, I think, mixed bags. I do too. Uh, so no, it, it, we love all kinds of music, and uh-huh. I remember when when um, before we recorded, especially for you, Pat says, "Yeah, I'd really like to get into writing some bossa nova stuff." And nice. I was all, I was all for that. I'm a big yeah. bossa nova fan. Me too. And so uh, he sprung um, in a lonely place on us during the sessions, as I recall. I don't even know if there was a demo for it. I think we were done with mo- recording most of the tracks for especially for you then he comes in with that song and we learned it on the spot and recorded it like that so no there was point being there was always like i said a mixed bag and uh i guess that was kind of like us doing act naturally yeah the there you go good <laughs> one good connection yeah. yes um, now it's got Kenny Margolis on the accordion, maybe because of the accordion, the accordion, it also reminds me a little bit of something Los Lobos might've done around oh, that okay. time. Um, okay. yeah, there's you on the shakers. You're kind of working shakers while you're also playing the mm-hmm. drums. I assume that's you, I don't know. Do you guys ever bring in other percussionists to enhance songs with those things? Or is it always um, you? I, I handled most of the percussion one time. The only time I remember when we were doing blow up, when we, when we cut, um, too much passion. We brought in Alex Akina to play congas. Um, 
But apart from that, I think I did most of the percussion or whoever happened to be there at the time. But I, I, I typically hand, handled most of it. Yeah, that's okay. probably me. Yeah. Okay, I figured. Um, okay, track four, World We Know. This, mm-hmm. one of the hallmarks of all the great Smithereen songs is that they kick off with a very memorable hook or riff, all of them, mm-hmm. and this one included. I'm curious, when I had Jim on here, I think I asked him this and I don't remember the answer. Is Jim in charge of writing those riffs or does Pat come to you since he's the primary songwriter with that riff in his head and Jim does it? Um, I'd say the answer to that is both. I think in this okay. case it was Pat's riff, you know? Um, uh-huh. But Jimmy has contributed a lot of bits to songs that uh, would not have been there if he wasn't there. No, I agree. <laughs> in, in particular, this... Uh, that was Pat's riff on that one, yeah. Okay. That's the thing, when I was getting getting ready to talk to you, Dennis, that's the thing that I realized finally um, about why I love the Smithereens. So I did a, about a year ago, I figured out who my top 10 favorite artists of all time were. And I had the Smithereens at number eight. And I realized the reason why is because I love what, like, you are just about my favorite drummer. Jimmy's wow. just about my favorite guitarist. Mike's just about my favorite bassist. You know what I mean? Pat's mm-hmm. just about my favorite singer-songwriter. It does. If I were to break down each piece of what the Smithereens are, all four of you guys are at or near the top of my of what I like in each wow. individual thing. So coming together as a piece is just perfection. And I, um, it reminds me. You're. Dr- I don't always feel like I can hear a drummer and know exactly who they are just as well as you can with a guitarist. But Mm -hmm. I often can with you. And it reminds me in the liner notes of, especially for you, you talk, you wrote those liner notes and you were saying that it was very important to you that your drums never sound like a dead fish. (laughs) (laughs) I've never Um, forgotten that. And because there is such a distinct snap to your sound on those drums. And I don't know if it's, Don or Ed Stasium doing this? If it's you coming from your hands, I don't know, but I love what you do. Oh man, thank you so much. I I always say that, um, and I agree with you. I I really like the fact that with certain musicians, you can hear their DNA in in one hit. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I oh, before I totally answer that question, I always say this too, and I really believe that. Um, the essence of the smithereen sound is it could be just Jimmy and I at a sound check and he could strike a chord in that unique way of voicing that he does and I could hit a flam on the snare at the same time and that one sound is the essence of the smithereen just just the combination of us two the two of us playing together and of course toss in Mike the three of us grew up playing together so but going back to your your um, question, I always say it's um, it's the sound you hear on a record. It could be enhanced by production techniques or what have you. But it's ultimately what you hear and like about a musician's playing is coming from their heart and soul mm-hmm. or their wrists. You know, it's, it's just it's the, the way a musician plays that uh, speaks to you ultimately, unless it's so artificially enhanced somehow that it obscures that but um i like to tune my drums a certain way and i like 
and I, I just can't help playing a certain way. Yeah. And that's, that's what you're getting, you know? I love it. I love it. Thank you. So it, now Thank in this song, of course, Del Shannon is singing backup on this song. And I'm curious, this is the song that has those yays or whatever kind of throughout. I don't know. Even <laughs> I'm not saying it right, but it's got these kind of high pitched noise. Is that a, is that a weird studio trick? Is that a, a bunch of you guys singing the noise and then being uh, filtered or you know treated yeah, somehow? It, it was in its purest form. It was actually Dell and me. Actually, we stood next oh. to each other at the microphone, and what we're saying, I think, is doo 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 doo. And, oh, um, okay. <laughs> and I do think Dixon added some kind of effects, a reverb, and something else, some delay or something to create. Maybe there was a guitar that played along with it. It does have a, a peculiar sound to it. It, it definitely sticks out. Uh, but it was basically a vocal that uh, a vocal part that was enhanced. And uh, let me tell you, that was a, a big, big thrill to have Dell uh, join I us in the studio. Was. You know, he's was. one of our all-time heroes. I mean, yeah. one of our biggest heroes. And we struck up a little friendship with him, and he he seemed very. Uh, uh, invigorated by that session i remember him kind of saying yeah i want to get back into recording uh, in his own way he says wow it's great to put on the headphones and hear real guitars and drums and wow and he was kind of invigorated by it that made me feel good yeah yeah i bet it were you now you had become friends prior and asked him to come sing on this or was he just walking through the halls yeah we um somebody put us in touch with him and we went to see him play at the Felt Forum in New York. That's how we met. And actually, I met him prior to that. When he, have you ever heard the recording of uh, his 1982 Bottom Line? It was a club called Bottom Line in New York. Uh, recording so. of his performance there in 1982. I don't think so, but I'll listen. I think it's on YouTube. It's one. Of, it was one of the best shows I've ever attended. Whoa. One of the most electrifying. He was promoting new new material at the time too. He had that album drop down and get me. So I remember meeting him that night, but met him as a, as a person that you know, knowing who each other was uh, in '86, I think. And then I sent him a cassette of, especially for you, and he really dug the album. Mm -hmm. So we stayed in touch. We were talking about hopefully working together on some level at some point. And um, being that he lived in the LA area and we were recording right there in Hollywood. He came to, he came over and wow. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then after that, he asked Jimmy and I to sing back up on one of his recordings. Really? So we did that in 88 and it was just a demo that stayed in the can for a long time. It eventually appeared as a bonus track on a CD uh, reissue of I guess it was his last studio album uh, called oh, Rock On. It was called, it was the okay. name of the album. And the song we sang on was a cover of uh, Ralph Donner's You Don't Know What You've Got Until You Lose It. No way. Okay, I'm so going to look for was, this. That was a big deal to us. You know? Yeah, I bet it was. It's got to be fun. I mean, it's you guys wear your love for music and classic rock and the greats like this on your sleeve very proudly always have. Having mm -hmm. these interactions, getting just being able to play in the game, you know, getting into the game, play swimming in that same pool as the Sinatras, as the people from Capitol Records that you know have passed through those halls, as people like Del Shannon, 
some rock stars, I imagine, are too cool to really stop and think. I know you guys are not, though. You know, you're feeling that in real time. Yeah, you know, we grew up being fans. We still are fans of the things that um, turn us on, influence us, inspire us. And we always made a point of trying to at least meet the people that we looked up to or Uh if there was a chance to work with them, yeah. That um, was really special because... A guy like Del Shannon, I mean, when I was a kid listening to his records, I learned something I don't, about life. Mm. can't really tell you what it was. Maybe it's just helped me recognize a certain emotion. There was just yeah. something about the best records that you latched onto when you were a kid that they just get embedded in your soul, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I know you'll agree with me. And so to actually have a friendship and a relationship with somebody that works. Sometimes it doesn't work, you know, but uh, when you get on the same level with somebody and you can share um, creating something together, that's, uh, I don't know, there's something mystical about it in a weird way. I believe. And then if you continue to work with that person, it usually stays to be, uh, stays being a very special um, thing. However, after a while, I wouldn't say the bubble is burst, but you realize, yeah, these these folks are just hustling gigs, and mm-hmm. you know, are not hustling. Some some are, but I mean, everybody. No, I know what gig. you mean. Yeah, and everybody's doing their thing, and the same way we are, we're just uh, keeping it going, and we're do performing and and, and writing, and, and just we're all we're all in this thing together. Obviously, yeah. some people have different auras and different levels of success and different egos and all kinds of different things. But uh, when you can um, connect with somebody and it works, uh, it's it's, it's nice. Dell actually sat in with us at the Roxy in LA. Uh, Maybe it was after Green Thoughts. I can't. Yeah, I think it was. So we already knew him at that point. Wow. Good for you. Mm -hmm. Speaking of sitting in, um, I have, I bought off iTunes, you guys and Graham Parker unplugged you know he's been Mm -hmm. on here too we talked about that as well i just another meeting of two people i love a lot all right track five is especially for you and again this is kind of the another outlier because it's the jazz song you've got um uh steve berlin on saxophone it um my understanding is that pat wanted to write something in kind of the spirit of burt Bacharach and hal david and this mm-hmm. was it. It's I, you were talking earlier about making it fun and interesting for for uh, the fans. I immediately thought of this because you're throwing them a curveball, giving yeah. them a song named after the first album that's on the second album, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to. I think there are some other artists that have done that. Does anything come to mind? Um, I'm trying to. I was trying to think of that same thing, probably. But I this, think now. Was this held over from especially for you, or was it no. written after the fact? It was. That was written after the fact. Matter of fact, that was a collaboration uh, between Jimmy and Pat. I think that credit at first was didn't reflect that, but it was later changed. I remember Jimmy and Pat writing that song. It was in our on our first tour in '86 in the back of a van. We were somewhere in Florida, and I remember Jimmy playing the chords and then coming up with that song in the back of his van after a gig 
late one night. So yeah, that um, and it, it obviously was influenced by back rack and that that flavor for sure. I love it. Um, I love Pat talking about hugging his pillow tight. That's one of the special qualities I think of Pat is that he's got this gruff voice and the al- and the band is harder and rockier, but his innocence and sensitivity is so he wears that so proudly that that's mm-hmm. the beauty that's some of the beauty of this of smithereens is hearing this music that's harder but with these heartfelt sensitive you know lyrics that can anyone can relate to but the, the package shouldn't go together but yet it does you know yeah it's funny how it works that way <laughs> yeah 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 that's yeah, what makes I'm you guys special i know what you're saying um I guess I'm trying. Again, I don't know try- too many other bands that have that quality to that level. You know, yeah. I, I mean, there are. I'm hard yeah. pressed to think now, but uh, not like yeah. You guys, th- thanks for thanks for saying that. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's something I like in, in, in other artists too. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. I know I have an example anyway, but thank you. Okay, the- sure. Of course. That is a cool um, thing. Now you're mostly on the brushes. Is it harder, easier, no difference playing brushes versus sticks? No, it's a very different technique. Something mm-hmm. I've yet to master, quite honestly. Oh, really? But I like like any decent musician, you learn to fake things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine actually did a, a session with Hal Blaine in nineteen ninety, late nineties, I think it was, in Los Angeles and Obviously, at that point, he was semi-retired, and he was p- playing with uh, Steve Allen, of all people, mm. and uh, I think some other musician that had been around for a long time, and they, they were between takes of a song, they're saying, what, what, what groove should we give this? Should we give it a Latin feel? And Hal says, well, let's just fake it like we always do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, you've, you've seen the Wrecking Crew movie, right? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Like Tommy Tedesco, the guitarist, talking about how he would get called for an Italian feel on a session or in a Spanish and then another Latin feel. And you always basically play the same thing. Uh, yeah. yeah. Then kind of flamenco-ish kind of riffs. <laughs> That's right. Is that really, again, when you strip down the um, facade of everything in showbiz, it's just... Yeah, you read about how insecure actors and actresses can be. Mm-hmm. Yet, when they finally hit their stride in a scene, it's magical. But it might take a bit of doing to get there. But, yeah. And everybody's just trying to get the job done as best as they can. That's what it boils down to. So, yeah. After you do it for a certain amount of time, it becomes a bit easier. I believe it. Um, okay, so, uh, Drown in My Tears, to me sounds like it should have been a single was was there a third single off this album or did they do memory and house and then call it quits because that song sounds like it was made for the radio i agree I, you know and i do remember that was the first track we cut during the green Talk oh session. really interesting okay yeah. well you know what that might have been serviced to radio yeah we did a video for that song did you really did. okay again maybe not a seven inch I've been wanting to go through my Smithereens collection recently. I want to pour through my 45s. I do have them all in order. But then again, Discogs is the uh, yeah probably the best. But we did, this did go to radio. Yes, it okay. did. It totally okay. did. 
And it, if if maybe only as a 12-inch promotional, but I think it, I think it was a single. Okay. And we did a video. We did a very. I like the video that we did with this for this. Oh, if I've ever seen the video, I'll have to really. We yeah. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Uh, I, yeah. We, sh we shot it in England. Okay. We were on we were on the road and we were going to play the Reading Festival. Oh, and sure. some of this, uh, the, the shots of us on stage, some of them in that video, video are from the Reading Festival. Oh, no way. And, and uh, a little bit of, of a travelogue of us roaming around London. Yeah. And then some scenes that I have very fond memories about because we used to stay at a place called the Columbia Hotel. And any musician that used to tour in that era, talking 87, 88, 86, will that played London and had to travel on the cheap will remember the Columbia Hotel. And uh, so there's some scenes of us uh, in there as well. Okay. So, I don't think I've ever seen it. If I did, I forgot all about it. So I'll go look for and it right now. If you, if you do go look for it, you'll have to keep your eyes open for a chap called Arthur, who you'll see uh, at the beginning, at the okay. end of the end. Video. I think you'll okay. really enjoy it. Yeah. Okay, I'll look for Arthur. <laughs> That's great. Um, okay, is this Dawn on piano again? And then um, there, you can hear faintly in the background every now and then a one, two, three, four. Is that you that does those count offs, or is it Pat, or is it Mike? I think it's Pat. Oh, okay. I, have to, I have to go back and listen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And Dawn on piano. Is that what it says? Well, <laughs> well like, it doesn't say otherwise, in. so I assumed it was him. Like I said, we brought in Kenny Margolis. Yeah, okay. The keyboard, so it's it's either Don or uh, or Kenny. Okay. Um, okay. The next track is Deep Black. Um, mm -hmm. This one, I've said this with with every other person when I have them on to do a deep dive, so I better do it here, even though it's it's not reflective of my true feelings. This one's probably my least favorite song on the album, if I had to pick one. Not mm -hmm. because I have a problem with it, but it's the least kind of memorable, I guess, for me. Um, who is doing the background vocals on this one? When you guys do backgrounds, is it is it Pat being like um, doubled or tripled, or is it the band together? How is it working? Uh, it's different for it's usually different per song oh golly i'd have to listen to it again john I that's okay know. yeah that's okay just curious sometimes, sometimes he would do them on his own sometimes i would do them on my own sometimes we would do them together but it just occurred to me this is the song on the album where he does use the word jealousy Deep oh black. yeah you're right and this song to me kind of tied is like this, the sibling of uh, of the title track. It just to me has a little bit of the, it's coming from the same well. In, I can see that dark place and uh, and uh, and that jealous theme, the theme of envy that uh, permeates some of the tunes here. You know? I could totally see that. Um, I also we should I I haven't talked as much about Mike. Mike's an amazing bass player, and he sounds great on every song. He sounds great on this one. Yeah. What um, I I've invited him to come on here, but he says he doesn't like to talk about the past too much. So I don't want to ask this and be insensitive about it. But why did he feel like he ultimately needed to leave? And having said that, we're so grateful that Thrilla stepped in because mm -hmm. Thrilla is fantastic. And most of the times I've seen you live, it's been with him. But why did Mike need to step away? It's just personal reasons. Okay. 
Now yeah. he's back, though. I don't know if he's back all the time or if he and Thrilla kind of platoon. What's the situation? Mike uh, just uh, is joining is going to be joining us in the, our next couple shows that are coming up. Great. So uh, yeah, he's. You're right when you say he's one. He's one of the best play, bass players that roams the earth, and he really is. He doesn't always get the ink. I think no. that he deserves. I Mike agree. really. Um, Mike started playing bass right after high school. Um, Jimmy and I started playing together the first week of high school. Uh, you might have heard the story before. I always tell it. You might have read about it. Yeah. Uh, I started playing. Well, I started teaching myself to play drums when I was really young, like two or three years old, just banging on toy drum and, and coffee cans. Mm -hmm. And got my first kit when I was 11. But I didn't really, I, uh, that was 1968. It wasn't until summer of 71 that I started playing in a band, uh, a local band in, in Carteret, New Jersey. That didn't last too long. It wasn't a super great band, but I, I learned a lot in a short amount of time about what it was like to play with other um, musicians. Anyway, I was disenchanted with the, the kids that I knew that were musicians. They were just not that. When I went to high school, I wanted to find a new place where the kids were hip. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> and I thought that if I can find a guitar player who knew how to play, I can't explain by the who, then I, I, that was a good You're start. Mm -hmm. And so day one, this is high school, day one of freshman year, period one, earth class, row one seat one there's a kid sitting there and i'm in the second row the kid's sitting there with kind of a beetleish haircut so oh, that's that's cool that's a little different i figured i'm going into high school i'm going to meet a whole big bunch of new new people i never knew before so i was that I, my antenna was really up uh -huh. so this kid opens his loose leaf and the first thing i see are these colored pictures of the who from hit parader magazine oh, no way. plastered inside his loose leaf i said I'm going to talk to this fella. And I introduced myself that day and we started hanging out that week and started playing together that week. That was 71. And we start, we, we started playing in his garage and playing a lot of who and kinks and Beatles songs. And we needed a bass player. So finally, Mike, who was a, a dear friend of ours, noticed we're hanging out together and said, well, probably a good way to make sure I hang out with my, my buddies is to learn how to play something. So, um, Right after high school, Mike taught himself to play bass. He had, as a kid, as did Jimmy, studied accordion. So that offered them some good musical grounding. So that's, and, and Mike is one of, he's just a natural. He, he, yeah. he, he wanted to do it. Uh, he's one of those people who, he grew up loving music the same way we did. But, so everything was already stored in his in his spirit you know musical mm -hmm. spirit uh from listening to records all those years and when he applied himself it's you know, he, he he got real good real quick yeah he's great all three of you are so distinctive at what you do um okay next track is elaine is there mm -hmm. an elaine was elaine a real person first of all and i'll say that that song is a real old song that we were when i See, I played in a cover band with Pat when I, we first met uh, in 1978. Pat had an ad out for his cover band. They were seeking a drummer. We, Jimmy, Mike, and I were also seeking a lead singer at the time and not having much uh, success. So I was still 
doing other musical things in, in addition to playing with Mike and Jimmy. And I, I saw this ad in the Aquarian, which is a, a New Jersey entertainment paper. And um, it was a, a drum, uh, cover band looking for a drummer. And it, back at the time, New Jersey was rife with cover bands. Mm -hmm. There was a whole scene, Route 35 going down South Amboy and all the Route 46 in Bergen County. All these bars where cover bands could play. But I'm talking so you have bands that carried their own PA and were drawing big money playing Southern rock and mm -hmm. glam rock and top 40, you know, but that wasn't what I was into. But Pat's ad, they were looking for a drummer that uh, could play Buddy Holly, The Jam, Elvis Costello, Devo, The Beatles, mm -hmm. you know, all this, this interesting stuff. So I answered the ad and I, I joined that band for um, our six months or whatever we played one gig and i i didn't want to stay with them for various reasons and uh -huh. but pat and i stayed in touch and he called me in early 1980 and he, he was writing songs by that time and he asked me to play on his demos and in i think it was february january february of 80 we recorded three songs just pat and me and one of the songs was elaine yeah it goes goes back that far i don't remember if there's a that there's a real muse a real Elaine. okay yeah but i just thought that was a long-winded answer to your no question. i'm glad that's i was going to ask you about that because i had read that it went back to 1980 but i didn't know what the whole story is i love that and we used to we used to play kenny's castaways on bleaker street it was kind of our home base in new york city and it was a great place for us to uh, hone our craft and meet a lot of new york music biz people and, and make a lot of new friends and it was owned and run by a dearly departed uh, fella called Pat Kenny. Um, he was our New York spiritual godfather. He mm -hmm. was—he really championed us, gave us a lot of gigs. He was an Irish guy, and he uh, kind of looked like the guy in Jaws. Um, oh, uh, Robert Shaw's character. Yeah, he looked a little bit like him. Yeah, but he was—he was a dear, dear friend and a big supporter. But he was—he was saying. Your band is superb. Great song. <laughs> but, but your best song is Elaine. It's your best song. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Well, it does sound the most steeped in classic rock. I mean, that's, you know, everything about the Smithereens is you can hear the kinks, you can hear the Beatles, you can hear all that kind of stuff. But this one feels almost like paying its respects to classic rock in some way, you know? Huh. That never occurred to me. That's interesting. I guess because oh, really? I, well, I equate it with being one of our earliest tracks. Yeah, that's probably true. I, okay. I, I just think, I think of it more as a folk, folksy little song, but it okay. does. I can it has see that. A little, but uh, you're right. I mean, and when we cut it for Green Thoughts, it had a little more of a sheen to it, I suppose. Yeah, there's, um, there. Jim's got that kind of jangly, chimey guitar going on that Don is with his work with REM too, just like the best at recording that, you know? Yeah. Um, uh -huh. Yeah. I, yeah, there's just something kind of classic um, bulletproof about Elaine. If you ask me next up is Thanks. spellbound. This is another mellow one. Also very unique. You are writing the symbol almost the whole song. Yeah. And are you overdubbing that later or when you're recording this, that's all you need to do is just very precisely play the symbol. Yeah, that was not overdubbed. That was, um, I remember that symbol. <laughs> really? We we rented gear. Uh, we didn't bring our own gear from, from, maybe the guys brought guitars, but we rented a drum kit 
from a fellow called Jeff Chonis in Los Angeles. And uh, he was, at the time, he was the carnage guy for people like Jim Keltner and uh, I forget who else, but a lot of big names in LA. He later, and I think to this day, uh, works with Ringo Starr. I think Ringo won't go on the road without Jeff as wow. his tech. That's great. Anyway, so he brought these symbols and he had this one 22 inch ride and I just fell in love with it. And when it came to doing that song, I just I just laid into it. I, I yeah. That's one of my favorite tracks on the album. It's yeah. still one of my favorite tracks to play live. Um, I remember just loving that symbol and loving creating that groove on there. It's, oh man, it's just something that's still one of my favorite of all our tunes. That's good to know. Um, I love hearing stuff like that. It's um, it's so cool. And going back to Mike, when the sound drops out and it's just Pat and the bass, Mike's bass in that is incredible. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. And I I don't know if you noticed that right when it at that spot you're talking about when it builds back into the song you hear a little yell at the end of that yes uh -huh. that's mike and that was cut in the moment there, there was such a beautiful tension that it. we created during that we all felt it and and then when it built back up he was just overtaken and he just yeah. it let that's a real moment the other thing i i, I, I do it. recall very uh uh vividly about the session for spellbound there were some japanese journalists that were there to interview us and take photos and boy i wish i could find these pictures maybe i did recently i forget now they were in the room with us when we cut that track snapping photos and uh really yeah i don't know for what publication i think i might have actually might have discovered one or two somewhere on the internet wow. I don't know. Okay, but, uh, but that added to the the drama too, knowing that there were people in there. They were being quiet, obviously. But sure. This is this is really cool. We're cutting the track, and oh, people I love that. We, that's what that spellbound is. One of the great moments of our career, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of creating just creating a real moment of recorded sound. Absolutely, all of us breathing together and playing together, breathing and together. Just, I love that. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you something else there. It feels like there are certain times where I can slightly hear, is it a bottle? Are you hitting a bottle or something maybe in the background or is it another oh, during symbol? That, that during that dropout thing? The, yeah. The dropout, that's actually a celeste, uh, an instrument I, called a celesta. Um, I don't know what that is. It's a keyboard instrument. It was used a lot in the 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, trying to think of a good example of it. I think on the Beatles version of Baby It's You on the solo. Oh, okay. I think the guitar is doubled by a celesta. Oh, interesting. C-E-L-E-S-T-A. -E um, oh, and it's just single notes. Okay. I I played it. it was just single notes on a celesta that was there at the Capitol Studio, which I presume was used on some Sinatra records because there are Sinatra sides that have a, a celesta on it. So okay. anyway. Okay. Cool. I love it. Um, all right. Sun Doesn't Shine, which to me makes sense as a final track, but we got one more after this. It's mm. so beautiful. It obviously feels like it's being paid. You're paying respects to Brian Wilson. There's you, I think, on a shaker again. There's I think it's hand claps going on. And again, I don't know if that's all of you guys are like standing around one microphone clapping in unison and 
overdubbing over the top or who does that. But what's the story with Sun Doesn't Shine? Well, to, to your point, I remember, I don't remember so much about the claps, but I do remember Jimmy, Dixon, and myself standing around a microphone doing the backup vocals together. Um, as for the song, I think it was, um, a lot of the songs for Green Thoughts were uh, uh, created, written, and, and we were gearing up for them right after we finished the Especially For You tour, which ended late August or September of 86. That tour lasted 15 or 16 months, right? And uh, so we get off the road in September, early September, and we're already scheduled for, dis for a December session to do the next album. We had signed with Capitol. So we had three months to to routine all this new material, some of which wasn't even being written, wasn't even written yet, you know? That was, <laughs> talk about a pressure cooker. No kidding. But that tune, so we had the autumn, autumn in New York. I remember going to the to Costa rehearsal studio where Jimmy, I think Mike was out of town at that time, but the three of us would get together and work up, work up these songs with Pat. And um, I think that song has a, a bit of a, an autumnal feel to it. I think mm -hmm. that uh, it's my favorite season. I can see I know, that. Yeah. I know it was Pat's favorite season. I think that was just inspired. I think it was inspired by the Ronettes. Yeah. And and uh, and Brian Wilson and uh, and I think it has. And I think Pat was very much in love at that time. And uh, and I think uh, the autumn played into it. I think all those elements came together. I can hear song. that now so yeah. clearly that you say it. I've always yeah. just thought it was such a beautiful song. Um, I'll, now, add, I'll add to that. that. That actually happens to be uh, a big favorite of Robin Wilson's. Uh, oh, when we, I could see when we, that. I could see his voice doing that really well. Yeah. Yeah. When we got together with Robin, that was one of his first requests. He says, we got to do it. If the sun doesn't shine, it turned out, well, it turns out that he was a huge fan of ours for years, and we didn't know that. And apparently, we met him in uh, Tempe, Arizona, on the Green Thoughts tour when he was working at a place called Zia Records, where we had done an in-store. And uh, so, anyway, when he was a big fan of Green Thoughts and the, the album, so he said that he used to perform "If the Sun Doesn't Shine" acoustically when he did like bar gigs acoustically. So, mm. yeah, I, and we hadn't performed that song in quite a few years live so i was delighted when he suggested that we yeah. do it because I, I really like that song too yeah i do too are there any songs off this album that have never been performed live no because i think we um let me see. no they've all been done live they all have been okay. memory house something new world we know especially for you that's side one right yeah Drama, Drama. Tears, Lane, um, be black, spell Be black. Oh yeah, no, we still no. do most of them from time That's to time. We've yeah, we we've uh, we've played a lot of this album a yeah. lot, a lot. Yeah, and, and okay. we still do a good chunk of it today. Um, okay, the last track is Green Thoughts. Again, I feel like Sun Doesn't Shine makes sense as a closer, but maybe you guys felt like Green Thoughts. What was the thinking there? Why that one as the closer? Oh, I don't know. We, I mean, Just, we felt it. We we felt it worked. I could really? see your point. How, how that would, if the sun doesn't shine, would, uh, yeah, sort of set, set, send it off into the sunset. Nicely, exactly. But, 
Yeah. But I also think that uh, ending with that big blast is is pretty True. dramatic and True. I don't I don't know. Uh, I can't put myself back into the mindset we had when we were sequencing it, but for me it were it works fine, you know. Sure. Um, I, mean, I, I love I, it. The three, the three chord hit at the end of that song, especially. Mm -hmm. Just then, all right, we're done. <laughs> it's so true. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because that that is that's definitely one of the highlights. And Jim's solo in there is so good. It's funny. I was listening to this in the car with my son the other day. He's he's 10. In fact, he just walked in. Um, he he he's sitting there playing with like a Lego or something and not paying attention. And I've got this on the CD on in the car and he stops and he says, is he saying cream puffs? And he, <laughs> so I said, no, it's called green thoughts. And he said, no, it sounds like he's saying cream puffs. And I said, I'm talking to the drummer in a couple of days. And he said, well, tell him, I think this song should be called cream puffs. So well, anyway, John, what, did I, what did I tell you before? A song can mean whatever the listener wants it to mean. It doesn't matter as long as they like it. <laughs> That's so true. Well, my and then yesterday, my he asked again. He said, "Hey, did you talk to the drummer? Did you tell him about Cream Puffs?" So anyway, <laughs> yeah. Forever now, the Green Thoughts is going to be called Cream Puffs in my house. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. What, yeah. Whatever. Whatever it takes. <laughs> whatever it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Um, I. Uh, it's probably my second favorite Smithereens album. I think the first one slightly overtakes it i don't know it depends on my mood but it's it's so great and um, i'm hoping ed stasium and i have been emailing for a while and he um, wants to come on as well and when he does we're going to talk about all the work you guys did together too especially 2011 which was such an incredible comeback for you guys yeah ed didn't work on that one though oh i thought didn't he, i thought did he do maybe he only did one song i thought he did did he? I thought he well, did. Dixon, he said something like, Don Dixon did that one? Yeah. Oh, okay. Ed did 11, you know. Yes. Oh, one Ed, of them, Ed, I just Ed, remember. Okay. I remember Ed, reading in Ed, the liner Ed, notes that somebody said, hold one song back so that you can, um, it can be on the next album. Oh, I thought Ed did that one. Okay. Yeah. No, well, that, Don's we were, just as good. We recorded the tracks for that album at Mitch Easter's studio at Fidelitorium and with Don producing and Mitch engineering. And then we did overdubs at, uh, at Pat's house in Scott. Oh, Plains wow. Okay. With Dick, with Dixon engineering that and producing. Yeah. But, okay. but if you talk, if you do get the chance to talk with Ed, he'll give you a lot of fun stuff. He's a great yeah. interview. You, you're going to have to do a, a, a several part with him because uh, <laughs> I, I mean, he, he's got such a storied career and so many great yeah. Ramon stories. Alone. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know he and I should be talking here soon. Um, oh, well, look, Dennis, I, it, I couldn't love you more. And I'm so grateful for everything you guys have put out in the world. And I'm so grateful that you get to continue to do it despite all odds. I mean, um, if I were a rich man, I would just pay your, I don't know. I would keep the, the smithereens bills paid and in nice <laughs> houses and comfortable for the rest of their lives. Cause they deserve it. You know, well, gee whiz, John, that's, that's <laughs> nice. What can I say? That's, that's well, it, well, you know, when, when I hear things like that and, uh, 
from from you and our fans. It's uh, uh, that's why we can we were able to keep doing it because yeah. because our music obviously does have meaning for for people. And uh, I'll tell you something, and this is kind of ties into the sentiment I think of what you just said. Um, and this is one of the <laughs> the most uh, profound and poignant things. I, that's ever happened to us i think in our career we were on tour not tour we we played mostly extended weekends these days we were in new england i don't know six seven years ago new hampshire we're checking out of a hotel and the clerk at the desk said oh you guys are the smithereens i really wanted to come to your show last night but i had to work um and a friend of mine was a huge fan of yours uh and she passed away a while ago, and she actually had the lyrics to In a Lonely Place engraved on her tombstone. No way. Yeah. Wow. So wow. when you uh, when you wonder if uh, people out yeah. there are listening, you know, if uh, you're, you think, well, you know, we, we just do what we do, and yeah. we hope people likes it, like it. Uh, when you hear things like that, it really makes you feel like, that's incredible this is this is this is a good thing we're doing and, yeah uh, i know we hear from people that say that our music sometimes gets them through tough periods or well i know like when i'll listen to certain records to get me through a day if I'm we all do it. a bit overwhelmed yeah. or whatever we all do right and yeah. so to know that uh we're creating that for some people is uh heavy duty rock and roll yeah it is <laughs> it is are there going to be more lost albums coming out Oh yes, really? Well, well, let's put it this way: we had a maybe not in the same vein in terms of completed LPs, but we have a lot of archival material Good. that we'll be seeing the light of day. And speaking of green thoughts, there's a lot to go with that. So, okay, yeah, right. It's just a matter of making the time to do it. Good. Uh, I'm so glad. But, Are you able to just now? Jim had his regular day job there for a while do you have a day job too or are you able to just do music at this point pretty much just do music you know um i, I play with other people too sure uh, you know i was touring with ronnie specter for a long time mm. and uh boy was that fun <laughs> i bet yeah I bet. Oh, yeah that was that was that was in that uh, we were talking before about what it's like playing with people you admire yeah and, and, and I, you know, I did a few years with her and every time i got up at the drums it was never lost on me how cool this moment was every time wow. i just thought man and and she was still very vibrant and very vital she she was doing the material and she was at age 75 i think it was still oh, sounded man. great and doing high kicks and really energetic and wow. she lived to be on stage that was a big yeah. loss when ronnie passed no kidding yeah, I'm so just, I, I basically, yeah. I'm I'm imagining you playing that drum intro to be my baby, and I can't imagine anything better. You know, yeah, you're right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So yeah. I do I do whatever I can. I like to play with with people. With I like to do sessions. I like to play with people um, yeah. that make good music. And you know, I've written liner notes throughout the years and different sure. articles. And now I have a weekly. Um, yeah, I heard about this. I meant to, I'm glad you mentioned it because it was in my notes and I forgot, skipped over it. You've got like a weekly, I don't know if it's a podcast because I looked for it and couldn't find it. Well, it's on, there's a station in New Jersey. You probably heard of WFMU. 
I have, um, yeah. It's considered by many to be the greatest radio station on the planet, and I'm one of those people. It's, it's a freeform station. It used to be connected with Uppsala College in New Jersey. That college uh, closed closed up shop, and FMU has remained a non-commercial, listener-supported radio station since the 70s. And uh, it's a remarkable freeform station with such diverse programming on it. Anyway, in addition to their uh, terrestrial signal, they also have several different streams. You can go to WFMU.org and find them. Uh, I'm on, I have a show called Denny's Den. Okay. It's on every Wednesday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, but it's archived, so you can find it anytime. Okay. It's on the Rock, Rock and Soul stream at WFMU.org. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, if you asked me, what do you want to do when you grow up? I wanted to be a DJ. So I have a lot of fun with it. And uh, I also wanted to be a drummer. So I get to do both things. You did both. (laughs) You did both. Great. Um, I love you a lot, Dennis. Thank you for talking with me, man. I really, really appreciate this. I appreciate it, John. Like I said, I'm a fan of your your podcast and uh, do the hustle. Uh, And, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, you never heard that. You never heard that one before. Uh, and, no one's saying it quite like that before. They say, yeah. oh, like the Van McCoy song, but no one's done it like you. Thank you for doing Van that. McCoy is, Van McCoy is a big hero of mine. I, I, I'm is a big he? fan of his work. Did you know that he did the arrangements on uh, uh, Dennis Wilson's Be With Me, the Beach Boys track? No. He did that what? fabulous arrangement. Yeah. Wow. And he wrote some some big uh, favorites of mine, uh, Baby I'm Yours by Barbara Lewis. Yeah. He, he had his hand in a lot of great records. Anyway, um, yeah. okay. well, thank you. I, I really appreciate your, your respect for the band and your support. Of course. And stay in touch, please. I will. I will. Thank you, Dennis. All right, there you have it. Dennis Dyken, drummer from one of the greatest American bands in history, the Smithereens. First and foremost, folks, go get the Lost Album. And I am i should have a couple of copies to give away to our Patreon supporters. Normally around this time, I would announce, you know, next Sunday we'll pull a winner. I don't know for sure when they're going to arrive. But uh, Patreon supporters, keep an eye out for, for an email from me. As soon as they do, I'll post it on there with like a trivia question or something. And you'll be in the... Uh, running to win a copy of the lost album and if you haven't listened to green thoughts for a while or you're new to it or whatever go check it out because it's one of the greatest albums ever made all right thanks folks we love you we'll talk to you soon
I'm sexy. Sexy. 